Anchored is a production of the Classic Learning Test based in Annapolis, Maryland. Reconnecting knowledge and virtue. Visit us at cltexam.com. Hello and welcome back to the CLT offices. We're glad you're here. Today, we're joined by Caroline Andrews, a student who shares her story about discovering classical education after attending public school for 13 years. If this is your first time listening to us, I'd like to take a little bit of time to explain what Anchored is. This is a podcast where our CEO, Jeremy Tate, engages in conversations with leading thinkers on issues at the intersection of education and culture. We appreciate your feedback, so please rate and review this episode and send any questions or comments to anchored at cltexam.com. For more information on CLT's mission and details about upcoming test dates, head to www.cltexam.com slash get started. Now, without any further ado, let's get on with the conversation. Welcome back to the Anchored Podcast, the official podcast of the Classic Learning Test. Uh, today is a very exciting day. I think maybe the first time we've had uh, a public school student on the Anchored Podcast. So I'm excited for this discussion uh, and excited about the role actually that the CLT played uh, in Caroline Andrews' discovery of this great, beautiful tradition uh, that we love here at CLT. Caroline, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. So you are a 2021 graduate of West Forsyth High School just outside of Atlanta, uh, public school all the way up K-12? Yes, all 13 years. Okay, okay, fantastic. What was uh, public school like for you growing up? Did you have a good experience, bad experience? Uh, how would you describe it, especially now that you've also discovered this new new world of classical education? Well, for me, I would say middle and high school were great, but elementary school especially, I was a kid who I learned things really quickly, but there wasn't really a set aside specific group of kids for that. And so it would be me understanding concepts and then in classes with kids who maybe struggled a little bit more. And instead of really being able to be pushed, it was just, okay, you finished your worksheet, take a seat, read a book, kids. So I I read a lot in elementary school. <laughs> Um, And then in middle and high school, I was in more advanced classes. And I mean, I did enjoy it, but it ran me ragged. And so I would be in high school, eight hours of school, extracurriculars, clubs, and then I would come home and have hours and hours of homework. And I just thought that's what normal. That's what's normal. That's what everybody does. This is just this is how education is done. And it wasn't until the covid pandemic where I really took a step back and was like, hang on this is not normal. This is not healthy. Mm. And then the CLT stepped in and really showed me another better way for education to happen. That's amazing. Um, You know, I I taught in the public school arena myself for almost 10 years, and I I really never heard the language of truth, goodness, beauty, wonder, wisdom, uh, until discovering this whole world of classical education. Can you relate to that as a student? Yes. I heard the word standards, grades, performance, statistics. It was never, we're educating you so that you can be a complete person. It was never, we're educating you so that, you know, you can have a better understanding of the world and how to relate to it and your place in it. Obviously the teachers that I had, they weren't sitting there teaching us to be little hoodlums, 
But at the same time, the purpose that I understood for my education was, okay, you're going to get the best grades possible and then go to the best college possible and get the best salary possible. And it was never really, we're going to turn you into somebody who knows how to live responsibly. Wow. Wow. Well, I'm interested in digging into this story because, you know, even when I visit schools, sometimes we'll tell teachers and administrators, um, you know, CLT is is important, but, uh, you know, we can't change the life of a young person uh, the way a teacher can or an administrator. But when I first uh, connected with you and heard just a little bit of your story, I was just really shocked and amazed uh, that CLT was able to play a pretty instrumental part in your discovery of this this whole tradition. So tell us a bit more about this. Yes. So I, again, during the COVID pandemic, it hit right in the middle of review season for tests and review projects. And so then all the grades that we had and everything, our county told us that any assignments we did wouldn't count against our grade. Um, And so that was kind of my first eye opening into, wow, okay, this isn't about learning. It's about meeting standards. And then with all the stuff that was exposed about public schools, especially in the summer of 2020 going forward, um, I knew that public school was not the best system, but I didn't know what to replace it with. And then I wanted a scholarship and I saw that CLT was a test um, that they that you could take to qualify for a scholarship. And so I did the practice test. I actually followed you on Twitter too, Um, but I took the practice test and there was just such a change. I mean, I would do practice tests for the SAT and I would read excerpts about overpopulation and the importance of family planning. And then I take my first CLT practice test and it's reading a sermon by Jonathan Edwards, who I love. He's actually the subject of the book that I'm going to talk about. Um, And so just seeing that, oh my gosh, here's an education system that values faith, that values beauty, that values truth. And it's something that has been around for thousands of years was just super eye-opening to me. Wow. And what college was this where you saw CLT uh, as an option and kind of introduced you to the test? It was Liberty University. Okay. And you're a student there now, is that right? I'm a student at Masters University. So Liberty was very far away. And tuition and all that. And masters, I do it online and it's very inexpensive and I get to be closer to home and to family, which is very nice. Okay. So CLT was kind of the the window, the entrance into this world. And then, and I had a very similar experience. I mean, even when we started CLT, you know, I was a college counselor. I was running an SAT, ACT prep company. A lot of our anchored listeners have heard this story many times before. Um, But when we launched CLT was really, uh, I was looking at kind of the, the garbage nonsense that was on the SAT or ACT. And I was thinking, what, what a missed opportunity. You could have millions of students reading, you know, Flannery O'Connor, Tolkien, C.S. Lewis, Catherine of Siena, uh, Jonathan Edwards, these great minds, but instead they're, they're reading these informational texts about, you know, we joke around about vacuum cleaner manuals because that's actually been on the test before. Um, really, really uh, texts that are not worthy uh, of a student's time or attention. Um, and often at CLT, we also we, we talk about testing not just as uh, an evaluative tool, but also as a teaching tool, as a pedagogical tool, that it conveys to young people what's important and what isn't. And so if a young person goes through a K-12 system that isn't a Christian school and they're told to value theology, religious texts, philosophy, and none of that is on the most important test at all, uh, it, it sends a different message that I think kids ingest in a far more powerful way 
than I think a lot of educators may assume. Exactly. Yeah. So um, tell us about like the, the new world you entered into understanding this. Was this uh, a part of, of ultimately ending up at master's? Yes, 100%. So before I knew that I didn't want to go to a school that taught crazy wrong things. Um, but especially for me, CLT learning about, you know, all the things about how education is formative. There's no such thing as a values neutral education. For me, John MacArthur and his ministry has been absolutely pivotal in where I am right now. The same thing as I was having the public school awakening, I was also, thanks to the extra time during COVID, I jokingly say that was my great reformation. Um, and so it was during that time where, you know, John MacArthur and his teaching was very, was something that I became more aware of. And through that, I came to see Masters University. And so now for my classes, for example, I'm reading, you know, for this one class I'm taking, I'm reading three books. I have to listen to 10 sermons. I'm learning about theology. But because of that, I'm learning about the single most important thing in life, Christ and what he did for me. And that then teaches me how to live in the world. Caroline, I, I love to kind of just uh, maybe go a little deeper here and think through. I mean, we, we in the West, at least uh, well over a millennia, um, all of education was kind of under the authority of the church. All kind of education in the West was kind of Christian education. I think you see this reflected even in the architecture of a place like Oxford or Cambridge. Um, they are built to point to heaven. They're built for beauty. Um, you look at some of the sterile buildings now that were built in especially the 20th century, and you're like, there's there's no soul. This is this is soul crushing in, in, in many ways. Um, how is it that so many families, uh, I, I'd say most, right? Most Christian families in America um, have completely, um, I guess we'd kind of say just, just siloed education as not necessarily needing to do anything with their Christian faith. I mean, in some ways, when we step away from our own historical moment, it's it's kind of bizarre that, that so many families have just disconnected these things. Um, I think a big part of it is just the lie that you can absolutely stratify society. Like what you do in business life will have no impact on how you live out your faith or how you engage mm. with your family. You know, what you learn Monday through Friday shouldn't interact at all with what you learn on Sundays. And that's just completely mm. untrue for me. I mean, the Bible says we need to be transformed and that is a complete and total transformation of how we view everything that includes education, that includes business that includes why we learn. And so, you know, the lie that we can separate all of that, it's just that it's not true and it's not biblical. And actually getting to what you said about the buildings, I have a story. So when <laughs> I was a kid, I went to my church for preschool and driving to the preschool every day, I, we drove past what was going to be my elementary school. Now okay. I was little and I couldn't read the word elementary. So I didn't know what it was, but I drove by and I thought it was a prison until for my kindergarten roundup, they put us all on buses with our parents and drove us to the school and I thought I was in trouble. And then I found out, no, this beautiful building is where you're going to be for the next six years. That is so sad. And I, I've actually heard that schools have actually used the blueprints for prisons uh, for construction models and, and how they're going to build things the way they're going to build things. Um, yeah, it, it's sad dynamic. Are you optimistic, Carol? I mean, as a young, you know, college freshman, college sophomore, um, you know, things like school choice, hope, hopefully optimistic 
opening up opportunities for more uh, students to have some ways, you know, the education that you were not able to receive in your your day school, at least. Uh, but that, um, yeah, will kind of turn the tide in the years to come. I am. I think especially because of, you know, online school that happened during COVID, more parents became aware of what was being taught to their kids. Um, And you have young people like me who are growing up in situations where, you know, teachers are saying use they them pronouns, all that stuff. And at a certain point, the crazy has overplayed its hand. And so there's a certain level of crazy that is acceptable that, you know, doesn't raise too many alarm bells. But then as soon as you have teachers, you know, grooming kids in classrooms, things like that, that's when parents, that's when everybody wakes up and realizes this doesn't work. And so then to have groups like the CLT, to have people like Christopher Rufo, who are in the middle of that saying, hey, here's the problem, but we have a solution. I mean, I think that that spells out amazing things for the future, especially Christian parents, because Mm. I mean, for example, when I was in elementary school, it wasn't this bad. And so I like I learned about Cesar Chavez and people like that, which I came home and my parents were like, "Okay, let's contextualize this a little bit. Um, But I wasn't coming home saying, mommy, daddy, my teacher was a boy yesterday and now he's a girl. Whereas you have kids doing that and parents are saying, holy cow, these people are educating my Mm. kid. Let's fix that. I was that. I mean, was that really part of I mean, you're you're at a suburban school outside of Atlanta, kind of the conservative South, or at least that's how a lot of people up in New England would view it. Um, I mean, were you taught that as, as a high school student? Was there an emphasis on things like pronouns and whatnot that seemed strange? Um, I graduated before the teachers were really involved with that, but it was starting to be big amongst the students. I will say my senior year, I took AP psychology and my teacher showed us two videos about two uh, children who tried to transition their gender. One of them was Jazz Jennings and I forget the other one. And Mm. in the second video, we were literally told, you know, if you don't let my kid do this, they'll kill themselves. So you have Mm. students there as a captive audience. Young people are very emotional. They very much want to uh, live according to their emotions, I guess you could say. And so then to have a parent saying, if you don't support the crazy, my six-year-old is going to you know, commit suicide. That's a captive audience. And so I got out before it got really bad, but I kind of saw the beginning of the transition to that stuff. And I think the part that's so terrifying, and I, I think about this as just a, a CEO, as a business leader, that to push back in any way, uh, you know, you're automatically, you know, a bigot, you're heartless, you're cruel, um, j- just to raise questions, you know, and, um, you know, my, my niece is at a school in Florida and she is, uh, tells me that she's called the basic because she's, um, I guess, you know, cis, cisgender and everybody has to be put and this is middle school. They have to be put in these, these categories where it becomes a huge part of their identity at a, at a very formative age. And so it seems like there's almost this kind of fanatical uh, ideology where we weren't talking about these things for most of the history of American education, even in the public school arena. And now they seem to be almost kind of the main thing that a lot of parents are trying to figure out, how do we navigate this? 
Well, especially because you have a bunch of kids that, like we talked about, they're not being taught truth, beauty, absolute truth and meaning. So you have these kids. They have no real sense of their identity yet. I mean, these kids are 11, 12, 13, maybe 14 in middle school, not being taught absolute truth. And then you feed in a social contagion like this. I mean, it's like when I was in elementary school, we had silly bands and we had rainbow loom bracelets, except this time the social contagion is chemically castrate yourself and mutilate yourself. And it's just the contagion is growing and it's becoming more popular. And it reaches a point where if you hold to the normative view of sex and gender, that has been what people have believed for 2000 years but you refuse to give that up because of the craziness of the past decade, all of a sudden you're the bigot and you're out of the norm mm. and it makes yeah. zero sense. You know, my, my dad, uh, Jerry Tate, maybe I'll send this episode to him, uh, a sniper in the Vietnam war, you know, a career ATF agent. He got shot three times, you know, once in Vietnam and twice with an ATF, a pretty like weathered kind of hardcore kind of guy. And I remember, a few times growing up, more than a few times, you know, he, he took me aside for some knucklehead, you know, teenage move that I'd made or something. And, and he would say, you know, you're, you're a man, start acting like it. And we'd have this kind of father son talk. Um, and I, I do know young families now where they don't want to project any kind of uh, gender on their son or daughter or, or their, their child, I guess we would say, and they want that to be just a process of discovery. Um, but I, I look back and I, I kind of like, thank God, that my dad called me to be something. I didn't know who I was and I would have felt very lost if he just said, we don't know what you are, figure it out, you know? But instead he's like, this, this is what you're meant to be. Um, and I, I want to say that with, with that and also be very sensitive. I, I think that there's a lot of students that these struggles are very real, but I'm, I'm not sure this big ideological jump makes things better for them either. Exactly. And I mean, you think you have kids in middle school where it's they can't determine when they go to the bathroom. They have to ask the teacher. Their meal times are set aside for them. Their class changes are set aside for them. When I was mm -hmm. in middle school and even high school, I had teachers telling me this is how you'll organize your binder. There'll be this on page one, this on page two. And so kids are given this level of restriction in middle school because middle schoolers are insane. And then the same teachers <laughs> turn around and are like, whatever you feel like you are today, that's what you are and we don't see the cognitive dissonance with those two sides yeah um caroline tell us about kind of your your hopes dreams for the future you're uh, a rising sophomore at, at the masters university uh where we've got a great great relationship here at clt with masters um yeah tell us what, what do you hope to do uh five ten years uh from now and uh tell us a bit about that I right now I am really interested in going into Christian education. So I love school and I love learning and I love teaching. Mm. I got involved with kids ministry through my church and I just love explaining concepts, especially to young people, because they are the future. And, you know, the Bible says train up a child the way he will go when he's old, he will not depart from it. Right now we have kids, we send them 40 hours a week off to the public schools to be taught that, you know, gender is a social construct and the world came about through the big bang and truth is different for every person that has an impact on the kids that are being raised up now. And so what mm. I would love to do is start a school within a church so that yes, they're learning science and history and language arts and math, but they're learning it through the lens of this is the world that God has created. This is the story that has played out that God has allowed to happen. Let's teach y'all more about that. Mm.
Love that. And, and that, that, I mean, has been the model historically that the, the education, the parish school was the way, you know, generation after generation uh, of young people were educated. Um, Caroline, uh, we always end the Anchor podcast talking about books, the books that have been most formative for us. Uh, you did hold up a little earlier uh, a copy of a Jonathan Edwards book. Now, I think for a big chunk of our audience, uh, and we've got a great base of, of Catholics and Protestants, you know, most people who know Jonathan Edwards, they know Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. That's what's going to be in every public school textbook. And the conception of Edwards has in many ways been kind of limited to that. So I'm interested to learn a bit more right now. Yes. So I have it right here. I did my homework. It's called The Unwavering Resolve of Jonathan Edwards. It was written by Steve Lawson, who's a preacher. I mean, when this man preaches, the mic shakes because he truly believes what he's saying. But it's part of his series, A Long Line of Godly Men. And so when Edwards was 18 or 19 years old, he was converted to Christianity and he realized that he needed to live his life in accordance with that. And so when he was 18, 19, he wrote out a list of 17 resolutions for how he would live his life. Hmm. And it, I mean, he got serious about it. He had resolutions about how often he would check himself on the resolutions. Um, and so within the first five, the emphasis was resolved, <laughs> live life according to the glory of God. But then he had things like resolved, you know, the way I eat and drink is going to bring glory to God. And again, he had it where he was going to check every week, every month and every year to see how he was living his life in accordance with these resolutions that were based on scripture. And so especially, you know, in a culture that says indulge in every desire and every impulse that you have, especially for young people, reading this book as a young person about somebody who, when he was young, realized the importance of living a disciplined life. It was super convicting for me, but it was also mm. super motivating to say, okay, just because I'm young, I don't have license to be insane. You know, I have to live life as if there's something higher, which there is. Wow. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, Jonathan Edwards, I mean, he, he comes at a time, the end of kind of the Puritan era, you know, in many ways, and it's an interesting tie into American higher ed as, as of course, almost all of the Ivies were initially launched as, as formative divinity schools uh, for men in the Puritan tradition. Uh, and then he goes on to become the president of Princeton, I believe, at the very end of his life. Uh, but a tremendous emphasis on on beauty in his preaching and in his teaching as well. Is that something you encountered? Um, yes, it was especially just the beauty of living a life in service to God. You know, a lot of people look at the Puritans and they think of a bunch of people who never smiled, never had any kind of fun, never enjoyed life when that's not true. They just enjoyed life within the context of how God said life should be enjoyed. And so there is truth within that and there is beauty within that. Um, and so seeing that lived out in somebody, again, starting at such a young age, was just super encouraging to see. It is a fun little fact from uh, Puritan uh, America that the, the pilgrims who came over on the Mayflower, they actually finished the, uh, I guess, their, their brew house or their distillery before they finished the church, you know. And so uh, certainly they, they certainly are mis- uh, characterized, I think, in the American imagination. Um, Caroline, what, what a delight to connect. I, I'm just really honored and amazed by the way that CLT was able to play a big part uh, in your own journey. Uh, again, we're thrilled here to be partnered with uh, the Masters University in California. Will you be uh, staying online or are you going to transition out to campus at some point? 
I'm weighing it. California is kind of a long ways out, especially for a Southern girl. Um, but I really am considering it because in-person education is just amazing. But it all comes down to just cost and how often I'd be able to see my family. But it's something that I'm definitely prayerfully considering. Love it, love it. Well, thanks for being with us. Thanks uh, for the support. I, I, I see your tweets uh, as well. And typically it can be a, a dangerous kind of toxic platform, but I, I love what you put out there. So Caroline, this has been great. Uh, have a great day and enjoy your 4th of July weekend. Thank you. You too. Thanks for listening to this episode of Anchored. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends and colleagues. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.